master criminals. Secret formulas. Monsters and midgets. None of them belong in this swamp. Only one thing does. The Swamp Bear. Swamp Thing, an outrageous pair in the incredible adventure that grows on you or all over you. The Adventures of the Swamp Thing. The comic book legend lives. Welcome back, everybody, to Pop Culture Historians. We're back for another week. It's still the 80s here, pop culture historians. I'm Ryan Ritter. That's Jimmy McShane. Jimmy, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I've kind of been rejuvenated after a couple weeks uh, of uh, kind of uh, fair to midland uh, superhero movies. Uh, we have something that's very odd and very interesting, and maybe not necessarily we'll get to it, uh, a superhero movie at all. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah it definitely barely qualifies yeah the thought crossed my mind of course um i <laughs> always feels weird to uh reset and uh, explain what we're doing because obviously if you click on the episode you're probably at least vaguely aware for for those who are just checking in with us for the first time and um uh, we, we thank you and we welcome you this is our uh review of the history of superhero movies uh we are currently going through the 80s roughly one movie a year ish uh to kind of get a good cross section of the uh the the peaks and the valleys of this um now ubiquitous genre uh 1982 which is where we're currently at right now uh it was not so ubiquitous and um there was this opportunity to try new things while studios try to figure out how to make this kind of young-ish kicked off by the superman films genre uh, profitable and both creatively and financially and that brings us to 1982's swamp thing though we should note i mean it's the superhero genre is only really new to film at this point right there's been several tv shows and of course comic books have been around since the 40s at this point yeah comics so, comics it's been it's almost 80 years now uh tv was a huge one i mean you know the season before this one we covered the uh, uh superhero serials stuff like you know, Adventures of Captain Marvel, Green Hornet, Superman, Batman, Captain America. But once the, you know, once serials kind of begat television, that's kind of where they resided for about 15, about 20, 25 years outside of a, a 1960s Batman movie, which we did cover a few weeks ago. You can go back and, and listen to that. And even that was connected to a TV show. And kind of, te- kind of television-y in nature. Uh, right. Superman 1978 being kind of basically like the first real one of the modern era. Uh, but you know, it's not like now where 
oh, Iron Man did well. We gotta get, we gotta make five other Iron Mans. We gotta get our own franchises. Superman, you know, did very well, made a huge impact. Superman two did pretty well, made a huge impact. But nothing else franchise wise is really cropping up. You know, the last two weeks we've been spending talking about Condor Man and uh, <laughs> Hero at Large, starring John Ritter. This is really just this. The one we're talking about today, Swamp Thing, directed by Wes Craven, kind of in between his schlocky horror, kind of almost exploitation kind of filmmaking, and then his more kind of mainstream horror filmmaking. This is kind of right smack dab in the middle of that. Uh, this um, is the first real major character. This is an actual DC character. Right, right, right. We're we're. You know, we, we've had Superman and then two original characters, and both those movies flopped. Right. And so I think we're seeing Hollywood pivot to using characters that are pre-existing in the comics. Exactly. But, you know, it's just interesting to me, and this is why I'm glad. If you imagine, I mean, I guess Batman technically came first, if you really want to get technical. And then Superman... Who would have thought the third DC character up was going to be Swamp Thing, you know? Yeah, and then if you don't count the 1960s Batman, which I can, argue, I think you could also argue doesn't really count because it was 15 years prior to Superman and connected to a TV show, not really its own film franchise. Right. That makes Swamp Thing getting his own film prior to Batman. Yeah, which is even, Which is even more bizarre. And like, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of research into who owned rights and stuff. I always assume, you know, if the obvious next man up doesn't get the film, there must be a reason for it. Um, but nevertheless, Batman's still another seven years away. And what's really interesting about this and why it crossed my mind that maybe this doesn't even qualify under our uh, our kind of guidelines. This is this is definitely a genre picture this is not like a superhero movie with like genre elements this is very much like a rubber masked like midnight movie like monster film there's kind of no two ways about it which i think makes it very interesting which is why it was so kind of rejuvenating to watch but very different from even a swamp thing movie that could be made today i think well for sure um and and uh, I feel I kind of got two ideas from it as far as this movie's plays in history because this movie it has a following it got a you know it got a sequel mm-hmm. and it also got a TV series in the '90s to follow it as well. Yeah, Sorry and so yeah, and so this was I mean it, I don't know if it broke any box office records but it was fairly popular. And so I have to wonder if this movie's popularity, because it's campy and it's dark and parts of it are kind of disturbing. I can't help but wonder, you know, giving Wes Craven this kind of this guy who was kind of known for his genre pictures. Like he's he's very, you know, Wes Craven is definitely has his own style. Mm-hmm. If that led to Tim Burton getting Batman in some way. Ooh. Well, you know, there was a there was a time, and this is not to, um, not to really like you know poo poo the current model, but you know nowadays, at least on the Marvel side, uh, the mo is to grab 
kind of young up and comers, you know, maybe they only have one or two movies under their belts and then bring them in before the, and kind of adapt into the Marvel house style. This is where John Watts and people like that come from. But, you know, as, as you're, it feels like you're kind of getting that, there was a time when they would get a guy who has like their own voice and go, okay, you're going to do Batman or you're going to do Superman. Uh, and, you know, whether they're better or not is debatable, but, I think they kind of make for more interesting movies as a result. Like this is a Wes Craven movie, like through and through. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I would still argue that Tim Burton's Batman movies, which we haven't gone to yet. So perhaps we shouldn't talk about them too much, but they are very much Tim Burton movies. Oh, especially. Number um, two. <laughs> yes. Especially number two. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I can't help but wonder as far as this movie's place in the history of superhero movies, if maybe that's one of its biggest things is it showed Hollywood. Yeah. You can take this character and do it in a really stylized way with a really stylistic director. Maybe. And uh, I'll be curious to kind of track that as we go. Batman's not too terribly far away. We're actually not that, <laughs> we're not that far away from the end. After this, we have uh, like basically three Superman movies and then Batman. Uh, I guess well, I- well- when we yeah. say the end, we mean the end of season one of this podcast series. We will be going right. through all the superhero movies. Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of... We're or major ones. Segments. Yeah. yeah. We're trying to... You know, interestingly enough, I, I guess I guess technically we're skipping the Swamp Thing sequel. Um, just because it didn't seem like it was... It seems like a better transition to go from Superman to... Well, and it was also a direct to DVD. Ah, and so well, that right? I mean, yeah. Well, I, guess, so, I guess it'd be direct to video, but that's that's. Oh, that's, I'm sorry. You're right. Right, that, direct that, to VHS. That's, that's semantic, yes. So. And um, so, yeah, it, it did not get the the wide release or the major release that we've kind of used as our somewhat arbitrary um, dividing line. Yeah, I mean, look, we don't write the rules. We just well, we do write the rules, but um. <laughs> So yeah, no, uh, it is very possible that the success of this, and what's interesting about the success of this, uh, I don't know how much you know about the history of the comics. Are you familiar with something at all? Not overly, because I haven't, I'm, I've always been more of a Marvel guy growing up. I've read some Marvel comics, um, haven't read as much DC, so I'm not that familiar with Swamp Thing, but I am familiar with the Marvel ripoff Man Thing. <laughs> which Very clever. Stan Lee must have, I don't know if it was Stan Lee who came up with it, but Stan Lee must have spent 10 seconds coming up with that title. Um, <laughs> well, if Stan Lee was a real cartoonist, like uh, Condor Man, he would have uh, lived, he would have lived in a swamp just to make sure a person could and, and experimented on himself. To, yes, that's absolutely true. Yeah, because kids know. Um, <laughs> that's a reference to last week's episode. Check that out. Uh, or or don't. I'd also understand that if you're right here for something. Yeah, the, the weird thing about Condor Man, I know we talked about it to death last last week. When I look back on it, it was a bizarre premise, but not a bizarre movie. And I don't it's know. Very it, standard. Yeah, it, it's 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 so bland for such a bizarre premise. Whereas this is just a bizarre ass freaking movie. The, the, the thought occurred to me last week that we we're probably making it sound more interesting than it really is. Uh, not Swamp Thing, but Condor Man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe which, we should stick on Swamp Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, forget Condor, man. Uh, I'm gonna. 
at the risk of jumping ahead to what's typically our last category, um, I think you're dead on. I, I love the speculation you have about its lasting effect. Uh, and I think it has some other lasting effects in some sort of like, in like some total ways. But there's actually a pretty significant um, thing that this movie caused on the comic side. And I have oh, to, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I actually have to, uh, he's not aware of it, but I actually have to credit um, a friend of ours, Brendan Carroll, in his letterbox review. He kind of alludes to this, which got me curious as to what he's talking about. Um, not that I've talked to him about it at all. So I guess I'm surprised if you're listening. Um, so just to back up a little bit, Swamp Thing started out in 1971 in a standalone comic entitled House of Secrets. Um, that's just what comics were called back then. It yeah. was popular enough. The next year, he got worked into the greater DC continuity. That was 1972. Uh, the comics run fizzled out around 1976, and it kind of lay dormant for a while. Then the movie came along. It was enough of a success, and they um, basically revived the comics. I'm getting this mostly right. Um, something expert out there. Please feel free to correct me. But they basically re, uh, revived and gave a second volume run of something to kind of help, uh, you know, advertise and you know, kind of bank off the popularity of the movie. And the initial guy they had to do it, whose name I don't have in front of me, uh, just either fizzled out, got pulled away. I think he wanted to do some television stuff. And so he handed it over to a, a, a young up and coming comic book writer named alan moore <laughs> i think i didn't know alan moore did swamp thing actually yeah so his you know i don't even think i need to explain just how huge that move would be i mean he rejuvenated swamp thing in the 80s kind of fixed a lot of the continuity stuff he actually found ways to kind of tie all these like weird kind of inconsistencies together he made a whole mythology out of it he'd go on to do you know a lot of the great Batman stories, which will affect the superhero genre for years to come. Uh, we can edit this out if uh, if I'm wrong. He did. Yeah, he created Watchmen, did he not? Yeah, he's he's a Watchmen guy. Um, so I mean, that's a whole other can of worms we're going to be dealing with eventually. Uh, so you know, the movie kind of begat the second run of comics that kind of begat the change in the guards that gave us maybe maybe one of the most influential voices to comics and thus comic films in the last 40 years. Yeah. It's always interesting. It's always interesting. Um, when like these famous, I guess, relative to comic books get, get it, have a run on some like obscure character and like completely revitalize that character. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost the way to do it. I mean, it, well, the, the risk the risk is obvious because if it's an obscure character and, and no one if you do an okay job, no one's going to care because it's obscure. So right. you you have to do amazingly, but he did it. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> the, I'm not sure I knew about Man Thing. That's pretty lazy, even for even for old Stan. Yeah, uh, who, well, who I like, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I you know something. I don't know if this was the case. I think we talked about this a little bit on when we did the serials. But a lot, half the time when they're coming with new characters, they were doing it just to get the copyright. Ah, I see. Uh, like Wonder Man, 
is a Marvel character who right. they who they came up to kind of make fun of Wonder Woman, and then DC sued them, and they couldn't use them anymore. <laughs> so then that's why you they you had uh, you know Spider Girl, Spider Woman, uh, oh you know all these they came up with all these like iterations of characters just to make sure they got the copyright. Right. Yeah. That, a good podcast series it must exist somewhere would be like going through all like the petty kind of ripoffs that the two major or even like you know just beyond marvel and dc but especially those two because it's funnier <laughs> uh all the you know all the blatant ripoffs they've done with each other like galactus and thanos and all that stuff um wait galactus marvel galactus is dc right no galactus is marvel galactus is marvel yeah. Ah, see, got to turn my nerd card in. But Thanos was sort of a was, was sort of a uh, take on a DC villain, was it not? Yeah. yeah. Um, who was used in the Justice League movie? Oh, uh, Dark, Side. Dark, Dark Side. Dark Side. Yes. Dark, Dark Side, Side came first, first, and Thanos was kind of a, a take on Dark Side. Uh, but I think the two characters have become very, very different since their inception, or even like Spider Man. Sure. Was basically if Jimmy Olsen got superpowers. I mean, that was like Stanley's idea. Uh, fair enough. You know, and so, yeah. um, uh, you know, so they were constantly stealing from each other. I mean, how many ideas can there be, really, at the end of the day? Um, and, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, but. Anyway. <laughs> I'm getting us off track. We need to talk about Swamp Thing. Um, yes, so I guess we can. I guess we can jump right into it. Uh, initial yeah. impressions. What did you think? <laughs> you know, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It's um. What do you think? Yeah, I liked it a lot. I mean, yeah. it's not perfect. Um, no, it's it's, but... it's a very it's a very flawed movie. Um, it's kind of but... a, simple, a simple movie for all of its. It is trying to build this like scientific mythology. It's pretty point A to point B. I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um. And, and, you know, it, it was definitely, you know, it's very Wes Craven, very campy, very, you know, with the very dark, although it, you could tell there were times it wanted to go darker and couldn't, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because so this movie has a PG rating. Yeah. Um, although I watched the international cut that had a whole bunch of nudity in it. Oh, what? Yes. I, uh, I, didn't know, I, I mean, the, oh, what? I mean, nudity is great and all, but there's an international cut? I didn't realize. Okay, okay. so cut. yeah, yeah. So I watched this on Tubi, which was a free movie streaming service. Ah. And I saw that was PG going in. And then suddenly there's this scene where um, Adrian Barbeau just goes to take a bath in the swamp and she's just topless for like a minute. Fantastic. And then there's a later scene where they're like, after like they've all been captured towards the end before, um right before like you know the scene where the the one um bruno gets given the potion without him knowing it yes prior to that there's like a whole like <laughs> like weird like dance striptease thing well not striptease but like like nudity again in and like right before that scene happens um <laughs> so like there's like the extended cut is like two minutes longer than the u.s cut and it's, like two minutes of nudity <laughs> it's really weird. I and had so, no idea. But not only did that happen, because I looked it up afterwards. Um, in what was it? In two thousand two, 
In 2002, a woman went to Blockbuster. Uh, if you don't know what Blockbuster is, you're much younger than Ryan and I are. A woman went to Blockbuster and rented this movie for her kids, not realizing it was the international edition. And MGM didn't realize it either. So it was PG on the box. Mm. And she walked in <laughs> one of the nudity scenes and saw her kids just watched, looking at this topless woman. She's like, what the hell is she got pissed? Yeah, okay, now I see what you're talking about. Yeah, at that party scene, which is actually a pretty uh, creepy scene. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, I guess I guess I, <laughs> I guess they didn't need the uh, two dancing women taking their clothes off because, uh, you know, I know when I was watching, I was like, this is good. But you know what this is missing? Is... <laughs> but that was the 80s, right? That was even into the 90s. Just all movies had to have like bare breasts at some point, even if it didn't make any sense. Um, yeah. Um, although there was, like I said, it was cuffed in the US edition. That was just the international edition where they decided to just have, you know, naked ladies. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you want some gratuitous. Uh, nudity pop on halloween three sometimes uh movie just <laughs> stops and it's pretty actually gross but it's a pretty decent movie but maybe not that part uh, i've never seen it i've never seen it i think you'd like it i know it's not something we're talking about right now but, <laughs> uh, I, th- I think i think you'd enjoy it i think okay. outside of of course this nasty cop who has this no, anyway doesn't matter say that for i'll the find out someday I'll say that for the halloween podcast <laughs> um but yeah, no, uh, I really enjoyed this. Again, it's really nice to see a superhero movie. Again, I, whether he's a superhero or not, he is—he has powers. He is a force of good. I I'm, guess he's a superhero. I'm going to argue. I'm going to argue this is a monster movie with the plot of a superhero movie. I think that's fair. And in fact, I think if you look at it, because there's, you know, every, every genre has its uh, tropes. One trope of the superhero movie is the scientist um, has a rival evil scientist who isn't as good, right? Who like the the rival ones like not as smart, but right. so so he he acts against the main character who has to like use use the the science formula on himself to keep right. the bad guy from getting it right, and then later on in the movie the bad guy uses his own formula on himself. And then they fight. Yeah, that's essentially yeah. the plot of this movie. That's a, that's uh, the plot of this movie. That's the that's more or less the base plot of so many, like Iron Man has. You know, there's other parts. You know, there's you know Iron Man has a more complex plot, but you could boil it down to the same plot. Ant Man you could boil it down to the same of, plot. Yeah. Captain America, like there's there's so many comic book movies where the villain is just like the inverse of the hero. They like use the same formula and everything, or use the same technology and everything and this is this or arguably superman 2 is the first example i think of that trope in yeah. these movies uh, another example uh incredible hulk it's a hulk versus evil hulk yeah true uh, yeah, hulk, yeah hulk versus abomination yeah no uh you're right and uh, you know i'm not kidding that really is more or less that those are the major beats i mean obviously uh Adrian Barbeau's character, who's kind of a uh, kind of this mix uh, of two characters from the comics. Uh, Cable is a name. Her name is Alice Cable in the movie. And Cable's a, a character, a male uh, character. Not Cable, like in Deadpool. This is another guy named Cable. 
but her character is uh, really more of an adaptation of another character named uh, uh, Abby Holland, of course. Uh, you know, she plays a member of the government who comes down to uh, kind of oversee uh, Dr. Alec Holland and his research in the in the in the swamp, and he's working on a plant regeneration formula. It's, it's all a force for good. And of course, you mentioned yes, that he has an evil <laughs> evil scientist, uh, and that's the the, the, the evil uh, Arcane, who is straight from the comics. That is um, Swamp Thing's kind of main arch nemesis. So they have that part right. Yeah, he basically comes in and just. <laughs> At one point, Alec Holland gets set on fire in a scene that I think is about as dark as the, these movies are going to get. Um, it was pretty... Yeah, pretty this movie is dark. This movie's dark, and I honestly feel like if Wes Craven wasn't trying to like be kind of mainstream, which this movie isn't mainstream, but I think it's mainstream for Wes Craven, um, yeah. I think it would have gone darker. I think it would have gone even darker. This is easily his most mainstream, like pre Nightmare on Elm Street, and those and those are pretty gory and bloody. But like, you can at least envision seeing those at like eight o'clock at a Cineplex. Like, this is more of like a midnight at a drive-in kind of thing, right? Um, which is cool, and that kind of, well, that kind of brings me back to my <laughs> my original thought, which is that it's really really nice to see a movie like this that is very much of a specific genre without it being like a tribute to because there's a lot of talk it sounds like i'm crapping on marvel i i love marvel stuff for the most part but there's always a lot of talk about like you know winter soldiers it's a it's a superhero movie but it's also like a political thriller or like you know civil war is like it's like a psychological thriller this this is just like no it's a monster movie (laughs) it's straight from the comics like it is made by a guy who makes uh, you know bloody horror films and, you know, he's toning it down because it's PG. Although this is the 80s. PG, there was no, I don't know, Temple of Doom is kind of the Mason-Dixon line for, like, when PG-13 kind of showed up. But I don't know. This might be right before Temple of Doom. So PG covered a wide swath back then. You basically Yeah, to, I was yeah, wondering yeah. about that. Because there's other things in this movie, too, besides the nudity that was cut. Like, when Swamp Thing, like, crushes that guy's head. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so I was like, "Wow, this this is PG." Um, yeah. Well, you you know, Temple of Doom, like you know, hearts are being ripped out of people's, you know, chests and stuff, and that. But there's no PG thirteen, and it's not really an R because no one's saying swear words, and there's no breasts, so it, it kind of becomes PG, and that kind of led the movement to maybe we ought to come up with something in the middle. But yeah, Swamp Thing, PG, bring the bring the kids. <laughs> I presume you did not watch this with Harper. I did not, no. Although That's probably a good idea. <laughs> uh, she wouldn't have paid attention anyway, so. Yeah, probably not. But uh, yeah, and I guess we can back up and talk about the actors a little bit. Um, Adrian Barbeau, uh, whose uh, major claim to fame before this was uh, being on the TV show Mod. Which hmm. I, don't know if, I don't know how familiar you are with that, but she was a pretty major player on that. I didn't remember her in that. Uh, of course, I I've only seen like one or two episodes, so... It's, it's been so long. Part of the All in the Family verse, uh, of course. Right. 
Uh, and before this, I didn't realize this was her first thing. And uh, I also didn't realize that she was married to John Carpenter at the time. But uh, she was. And uh, her first. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so naturally, her first movie was John Carpenter's The Fog, which is actually a pretty, pretty interesting movie. Uh, good little Halloween, turn off the lights and watch a ghost story kind of movie. And then that kind of leads us to Swamp Thing. Uh, I, any initial thoughts or impressions on her at all? It's, um, it's the main character, but I don't really know that it's her movie. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Well, it's kind of like um, The Great Gatsby, right? Nick, mm-hmm. Nick like The Great Gatsby. That's kind of... Or um, yeah, no, I see. Or even like going further back, like Moby Dick, right? Ishmael is the main character of Moby Dick, but that's Ahab's book. Yeah, right. Or you know, Nick Nick Carraway is the narrator; he's the main character of The Great Gatsby. But that book is about Gatsby. And say, you know, same thing here. Like, yeah, you know, um, you know, Cable is the main character, but that's only because the movie's about a a swamp thing. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, and no. so, yeah, but I think, um, I think she sells what they were going for with her character well because she's still an archetype. Her main purpose in this movie is to be saved by Swamp Thing. That's it. And that being said, she never feels helpless. I'm so with you on that. You know, they. they you know they 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 do a good job. I mean, it's still definitely a, an archetype. You're still the damsel in distress, but I it works for some reason. And I think because they they picked an actress who legitimately comes across as feisty. I don't know. I have a better word. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're kind of talking about it, because they're really her whole thing is a series of bad guys come in with guns and chase after her. She runs away and either gets caught and then gets saved at the last second or manages to. Um, you know, get away and, you know, call for reinforcements, call for help. Really, there's almost a structure. I, I can imagine, like, if Swamp Thing had existed 40 years before, there, there could have been a pretty decent serial uh, out of Swamp Thing. Um, yeah. The framework is there. You have the crazy scientist who spends a lot of time, right. you know, scheming. And I think, I think the Swamp Thing costume would have been pretty bad, but... You oh, and it wouldn't have been filmed in a swamp. It would have been filmed in a studio. And yeah, yeah. Um, but there was kind of like a serial structure to this kind of sort of. I can see what you're saying, and I agree because it, it is. It was a little repetitious, and this this was going to be a criticism I had of the movie. It was a little repetitious. There was a lot of, you know, like you said, on a, you know, the commandos attack or uh, commandos attack. She either runs away or gets caught, and then gets saved at the last second in kind of a serial-esque way right like swamp thing comes out of nowhere and saves her in a way that maybe would have happened like at the end of the serial she gets captured beginning mm-hmm. of the next one swamp thing saves her you know so i see what you're saying i think you're right yeah so maybe that's why it feels like yeah i think if it was anyone else if it wasn't adrian barbeau this character uh it's felt like it really fell short because there's not a whole lot there on the paper you don't really get to know her all that well outside of you know, you kind of maybe you see what she what she sees in Alec Holland in the uh, in the beginning, which kind of helps her fall in love when it becomes a swamp thing. Uh, but there's not a whole lot there. But she sells it, and you buy her as a lead, and you buy her as strong and uh, independent, and 
you know, the movie doesn't make too fine a point of it. But maybe that's a good balance to have. Uh, you know, if we're going to still be in this realm where women are just to be chased around with guns, at least we can believe that um, she can fight them off. Uh, that's a, that seems like a fair trade-off for where we are in film history and blockbuster culture being what it is in 1982. Uh, yeah, the movie may not have worked at all without her. Which is interesting because it's a movie ultimately about the guys in the rubber suits. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of the guy in the rubber suit, um, you know, the guy, the character who becomes Swamp Thing is played by two different people. In the first half an hour, uh, he is in human form, Dr. Holland, um, the good, uh, maybe idealistic, optimistic. Played by Ray Wise, who is a guy you probably seen in other things did you do you did you immediately recognize him in anything yeah no I, I i was familiar with ray rise going into this movie you know i know he's in he was in twin peaks which i haven't watched much of but you know yep. he's of course in 24 yep uh, the two i had twin peaks i i he was in reaper person. he was in reaper which is a short-lived uh show in the late 2000s where he he played the devil and like his it, it, the main like the whole idea of the show was that like the main character his parent their parents told the like they made a deal with the devil like oh you can have a first child if you give us this and they were like never planning on having children <laughs> and and then they got pregnant because of course that's what happens when you make the deal with the devil and then when a the guy turned of turned 18 i think the devil came to claim him and like put him to work as a reaper of souls that's phenomenal uh, I really enjoyed the show. It only lasted two seasons. It didn't catch on. It ended on a cliffhanger. Uh, uh, of course. <laughs> but I liked the show, and Ray Wise played the devil in it, and I really liked him in that. Uh, but most, the the role I'm always going to think of Ray Wise, wait, Ray Wise in the most is in a movie near and dear to my heart, RoboCop. Jimmy, I have never seen RoboCop. I. <laughs> I love that movie. It's on my list of things to knock out in the near future. It is okay. I might write about it. I don't. I don't know if like. I don't want to hype it up too much because I don't know. It's it's just so like. I don't know what works about it because it shouldn't work. It should be a terrible movie, and maybe it is a terrible movie, and I just love it. I don't know. Uh, People Uh, people talk about it like it's legitimately good. I think. um, I don't think you're on an island here. Um, at all yeah and so um, I haven't seen the sequels because I heard they suck um, the I one have seen, seen, I go back I have and seen the scene from Robocop 2 I've seen one <laughs> scene from that uh, uh, I haven't it's pretty funny yeah okay I'm sure yeah. Um, but yeah I, I love I love Robocop and Ray Rise is like one of like the henchmen in that movie but the henchmen are really memorable for some reason in that movie um, and that's that's always what I'm going to associate him with which is why it's kind of weird to see him in this role, because every other role we've talked about, he's kind of played a shady character. Yeah, and that's kind absolutely. of what he's known for. And so it's weird to see him as this like young idealist, like love interest. Yeah, this was his first. I mean, he was on the soap for uh, a while in the seventies. He has, you know, work in that decade. This appears to be his first real major film role or film role at all. So this is this is kind of his debut i mean it's hard to say because he was working for you know 10 years before this it's uh, not, not more but this is his big screen debut how far in the twin peaks did you get not very far 
Okay. Um, I do want to watch more of it. I just, you know, it was one of those things was like, I was going to watch it with my sister and I was going to watch it with someone else. And then it just ended up, I didn't watch very much of it at all. And it's always been like on my list to like go and go and watch. Um, so because I've started it and I really liked what I've seen. Yeah. But I just, I just haven't, I just haven't sat down and watched it. There's too yeah. much to watch these days. I get it. And, uh, you know, the Twin Peaks world is uh, expanding all the time. Ray Wise, yeah. is just, he's very, he's very memorable on that show. Okay. Is, is what I'll say. Yeah. I'll watch RoboCop and you watch Twin Peaks. That's a good <laughs> okay. trade off. I'll watch Deal. a 90 minute movie and you watch <laughs> 18, 30 hours worth of content. Right. <laughs> fair trade off. Yeah. Um, I think he's, I think he's great in this. And I think he's another reason why uh, it's always odd to see a character kind of played by two different people. And uh, I think both Ray Wise and um, Dick, Dick, Dick Durock, Dick Durek. I don't know, but uh, both sure. have, neither sound right. And I'm, I, I but you know, they, you know they, Ray Wise does kind of in the beginning third of this movie kind of helps set up Dick's, um, portrayal of the actual swamp thing later on because the fact that he's so you know forward thinking and future minded and idealistic kind of makes the story of swamp thing kind of a tragedy even though he turned you know he's still alive in swamp form but if you didn't like him in the beginning i wouldn't give a whiff what happened to him (laughs) Yeah, I agree. They they did it. the first thirty minutes of this movie, or maybe twenty minutes, kind of does the heavy lifting for the whole movie. Because yep. because after after that happens, it's it's just a chase. It's just a big chase. Absolutely. Uh, and so yeah, the the first thirty minutes does the heavy lifting, and I think that's where you know you you connect with the cable character, you connect with Holland, um, and and it's and it's interesting. Because they were, they were also kind of smart about it. Because we've seen ones like Flash Gordon where like Flash and Dale Armin met and after two minutes they were deeply in love with each other, right? Yeah, and we uh, we kind of we kind of criticized it for that at the time. Right. And and here there's no I mean there there's an attraction and you could definitely see like Cable kind of admired Holland a little bit, but it nowhere in this was it supposed to be a situation where like they were like deeply in love, right? They were just kind of like, um, there was a connection. Yeah. And you I don't think... even get the sense that they were trying to hook them up in the beginning. It kind of happened right. naturally. Right. Um, and so, and you know, so, so I think, I think the, the dynamic worked, worked really well early on and that that's at the groundwork for the rest of the movie. It's a good example, kind of. You know, it's not like it's filled with great scenes and dialogue and characters. Well, fact, but... Oh, go on. Sorry. Well, no, go ahead. Well, there was there were times I felt like dialogue was trying too hard to be good and actually took away from the movie. Yeah, that was, I, I can't think one of those lines is one of my best. That's but it only seems like someone's like, like a quotation book or something like this. Yeah, uh, here and there. Everything's a dream when you're lonely. That's, that's a good one. I mean, it's just like, wait. I actually like, could Which is weird, because like in the, in the last act of this movie, like they, they were really trying to make it seem deep or something. And yes. it's, it's fine. It's fine to like try to have deep themes, but you can't just tack them on at the end. Especially, <laughs> like, coming, especially coming from like Swamp Thing, who is a character <laughs> who I'm sure talks in the comics, but 
I wouldn't have been mad if he ended up just being mute. <laughs> right. And I, yeah, like I said, I didn't mind him talking, but yeah, they it was it was weird. It, that that's one of the criticisms I'm gonna have of this movie is a it just it just one big chase scene. It got a little repetitive, and B, um, w- when you try to sound deep and fail, it it's worse than not trying at all. Absolutely. I mean, it'd be like lines like that, like, you know, tis better. Yeah, and yeah, tis better oh, yeah. to um, love and lost than not loved at all. Loved at all, no. <laughs> Which but, I'm sure there's a way to do with the Hulk, but it it takes it takes more. It takes more story, you know. It's, it's outside of this movie's pay grade, ultimately. But yes. consider it's a good example of if you do a lot of the work right in your first act, your second and your third act's gonna fall into place. Because I think you're dead on. This once once the turn happens and he's now the swamp thing and everyone's on the run. Uh, if you don't care even a little bit about anyone running around, this thing dies on the vine and yeah. you know what the work that the first act does there are still quibbles i have uh you know yes it is kind of repetitive you're all you're just kind of waiting for the obvious stuff at the end like you kind of think he's gonna like put it he's gonna try the formula himself and he's gonna you know he's gonna show his innate desire and he's evil so he's gonna be all screwed up and all that. um which i guess we should explain uh the formula and all this <laughs> stuff we got, well, we got like we, we we explained like like half the movie and then we started yes. trailing off. So, yeah, it's, uh, really, it's really good podcasting <laughs> technique. Um, we're a very stream of consciousness. We are. That's Hunter S. Thompson. That's what we are. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to do you want to explain the? Uh... Well, okay, yeah. So first first act of the movie, Cable is this new person coming to this. Uh, remote scientific outpost where they're creating a, like you said, a, a plant formula to help plants be more more resilient. Because, you know, uh, they're worried. You know, in the eighties, the 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 big thing in the world was a, a huge starvation crisis, and while there's still that happening, it's 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 been lessened. Um, yeah. And so you know that was that that was the big thing that they were trying to haul and was trying to fix. And there's a rival scientist who comes in. And basically kills everybody to get the formula. And there was a, <laughs> I loved it. There was a, it, so it was so ridiculous, but it was also on point for the movie. The reveal that the bad villain, the villainous scientist, was actually there all along in disguise with like a Scooby Doo esque like mask yes, that he that was the he best. pulled off. And I was like, because <laughs> this movie is is campy. It's aware of how ridiculous it is, and that. <laughs> That worked. I thought that was awesome. I thought it was yeah, hilarious. There's this character oh. named Ritter, which stood out to me for obvious reasons. My, <laughs> they also my, said his name so much. Yeah, they, they said it like 80 times. And they're always alluding to like this like this the evil and watch out, he has troops and all this stuff. And then yeah, as you literally said, at one point everyone thinks Ritter turned. He's like, I didn't turn. There is no Ritter. And he pulls off like a, like a latex mask. And it's like yeah, it's 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 Louis Jordan playing Arcane, uh, which I don't remember if we'd actually seen him in another scene before. Um, I, think I don't we did. believe so. Oh, do we? <laughs> I don't know, but I don't think so. Like, I think that was our first time seeing him. It's like, oh no, it's it's that guy. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Um, yeah, uh, that was insane. And uh, 
I, it almost set up a different villain than I think we ended up getting. Because I thought maybe he was going to be more of like a espionage kind of like master of the skies kind of guy. Because that's kind of what they set up in the beginning. But nope, just one reveal. Yep. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. And so the whole thing happens where he wants the formula and um, Holland basically destroys it and destroying it. He lights himself on fire and runs into the swamp and... Even though we don't necessarily see it, he gets turned into the swamp thing. Yeah. Him on fire really was pretty freaky. Not gruesome. It's not gory or anything, but you just, you're not, you're not used to seeing that kind of thing in a so-called superhero movie. Someone just burning to death. <laughs> Almost. True. Well, I mean, yeah, he, he, he did, but then he was revitalized by the magic plant formula, which doesn't make sense. But that's okay. No, it doesn't, and that's it's, it's, it's it does it doesn't try to either. It's it's later explained that the formula just like turns you into your essence, and so mm-hmm. Holland became a super strong plant thing because that's what his essence was, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and from there, it really is just like a race to the finish. Yeah. Um, Archie yeah. figures out like whatever wherever this girl shows up. Well, well. Right, because like they're 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 chasing they're chasing Cable and she's running away from the commandos and Swamp Thing. That's when Swamp Thing reveals himself and kills a bunch of commandos to save her. And then she goes like a gas station, calls for help, not knowing Ritter isn't a real person. And she calls Ritter and he comes and there's this little kid who becomes her sidekick. I wanted more of him. I thought he was going (laughs) to play a bigger factor in this. I thought he was too, but yeah, um, he was great. He was great. Uh, and, um, you know, then they go on the run and then Swamp Thing saves them. And there's a notebook that Cable has that has the, the final formula in it. And then, you know, eventually, you know, and really this happens a couple of times. Commandos find Cable. Cable runs away. Swamp Thing saves her. Commandos find Cable. Cable, I mean, it happens... I want to say like three or four times in this it movie. Felt, at least. It felt like it, it felt like three or four times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> eventually, I guess Swamp Thing came to the conclusion that we might as well let him capture us. <laughs> yeah. Right. Look. Basically, yeah. Um, so he, 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 yeah. He, so they got captured, and that led to the final act where um, the uh, uh, the evil genius um, Arcane tries the formula out on one of the. Um, I guess cowardly commandos. If yeah, that's this, is the, this is that this is that scene with Bruno you were talking about earlier. Yeah. A... Um, and so he tries it, expecting this commando to be turned to this big, giant, hulking person, and he gets turned to like a like a little. I don't know. Like he gets made half his size and kind of a, like a hairy, like ferret guy. I don't know how to describe him. Yeah, he basically becomes smaller than um, he was supposed to, and it, that kind of ties back to become your essence so arcane figures he was he was small in heart and in spirit and uh and you know small in bravery so it shrinks him down well i'm a genius and when i take it that means i'm going to be the biggest genius right you know which is kind of you know look it's it's very silly but i guess there's something about um something almost greek about that kind of hubris on display in a villain uh, i don't know how else you would do it. And uh, of course, you know, that's not what happens at all. This is, this is kind of gruesome sequence where he transforms. See, 
was it Bruno or was it him that had that scene where like his face almost becomes like one of those clay men from uh like, that was him or something it was that, that was, was nasty him. looking that was a yeah so I will say I mean I do think that scene because there's you know I, I do think Res Res Craven is a is a good director but it, but in this movie it was really more action set pieces it wasn't all that stylistic outside of this sequence I didn't think right agreed like like you know you have him like he's come to the conclusion he's gonna take this formula and he goes up and pours in a glass and it's this really quiet slow kind of not slow as in boring but like it Wes Craven takes his time with the sequence and he's standing there with the, the mug and he's like looking out of the patio into this gorgeous swamp like setting and he and he's standing on his patio and the sun's beating down on him and he takes a drink, you know, and it's it's almost peaceful, you know. And yeah, then absolutely. and then it, he asks for a brandy and it leads into this gru- gruesome sequence where he's like melting almost. and He comes like a cocoon. He comes out as this like. Beast, I don't know. Um, yeah, I thought I thought that was a really cool sequence that. um you know, you, you could see Wes Craven's skill as a director and storyteller in that sequence. It's the kind of sequence that only he could do, or if not him, only a select other few. But it's not a kind of sequence you would get if you had just picked a, you know, company man kind of director or a director for hire, um, someone who's just there to film the scripts, get the movie under budget, and then go. And I think that's really cool. You get this, like, these glimpses of, you know, what if this movie had been, like, a hard R or even unrated? If it had gone direct to video and you could have done, like, whatever you wanted outside of, you know, budget. And this is not a movie that's concerned with its budget. I mean, <laughs> I don't mean that in, like, money's no object, but it's almost like they're like, we know we have, like, 40 bucks left over <laughs> to do this. And it's actually <laughs> a letdown. I think, I actually think Swamp Thing's rubber suit looks pretty good it's obviously prosthetics it's obviously like you know it's but it doesn't look great but it looks good i know that sounds weird like but they're not like let's make it look like there's a real swamp thing here they still like let's make it the costume interesting uh i don't know that arm passes that test to me um it doesn't it, gets, it doesn't. It's, it's a little Halloween costumey to me, and I that, yes. that kind of tanks the ending a little bit. For the, me. the prosthetics in this movie were very, very uneven, and like you know, they made Arcane into like this rage beast. I think he, yep. he couldn't speak. He, he couldn't do anything. He would just rage and grr, and and it made the the climax kind of boring. I thought. Agreed. And do I prefer? You know, two people in like zip up costumes fighting over like two CGI blobs fighting. Yeah, but, I do actually. Yeah, yeah uh, it's, it's still two people. You can still see two people doing stuff. I just, I just even even ten percent better quality would have. Well, I also think it. it here. I also think it affected the the choreographing because there was there was a lot of editing in that final fight sequence. You know, yes, which makes and, it less interesting. Which makes it less interesting. It makes it not as enjoyable to watch, and it, it makes it slightly harder to follow. 
Yep. Not that it was difficult to follow, but it was just kind of like every time there's a cut, you have to reorient yourself a little bit. And yep. so that that final fight sequence, I was kind of like, I right, just kill him and get it over with. Like there, there was that that fell for me, and I think it was because, in part, that that prosthetic or that costume made filming it so difficult. I think you're onto something there. Because something really did change there. Because, you know, there are other action sequences and they look fine. It's something beating up the armed guards or the dumb commandos or whatever. And they look totally fine. It's just when that costume gets introduced that things kind of go awry. That, that has to be it. Uh, what other thing comes to mind? And I guess we can jump over to see what our friend Leonard Malton thought of the movie. Um, <laughs> it's a movie. I don't know if this is just me being dense or if this didn't make sense to you. But to realize, oh, uh, this is Dr. Holland becoming Swamp Thing. Because the opening of the movie kind of implies that this already existed in the swamp and has for some time. I don't know if that's just me being a moron. In which case, uh, we can edit this out. But um, if not, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, no. It starts out with the... Um you know, pictures of the swamp, and then it, it was like describing the swamp thing about what it was. And then it cuts to the swamp thing's origin story, and it takes, it, you know, it takes its time telling the origin story. But I agree, I wasn't sure if, like, because I wasn't super familiar, so I didn't know what Doctor, I didn't know Holland was a swamp thing, so I'm like, is he gonna, like, pop up, or is Holland this? Because, you know, without that, I would just be like, oh, Holland's a swamp thing. You know, the, the scientist is probably gonna end up being the thing. But then I, I wasn't sure. Like, I was like, I, I was kind of with you. I wasn't sure if, like, the Swamp Thing was something that was pre existing going in the movie, if we were watching the origin of the Swamp Thing. I wasn't sure uh, where it was going until it went there. Yeah, it even took me like a couple of beats because my first thought was once, you know, Holland dies and Swamp Thing takes over, it's like, well, God, it'd be so interesting if they end up being Dr. Holland. And then, like, another couple of minutes after, I'm like, wait. That's what's actually going on, isn't it? Like, I've I've caught up now. Okay, good. I wasn't the only. Yeah, person. it was it was odd. It was also very unnecessary. Yeah, didn't need it. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna move to a uh, my favorite segment of this <laughs> podcast, and maybe of of my my maybe my entire week. Uh, pull out the Leonard Maltin's 2010 movie guide and look up the movie in question, and see what he thought. Uh, do you have any guesses as to what he might uh, might have given? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna guess that he gives it two stars. I'm guessing two stars. Two and a half. Ah, so close. Research scientist continues to love Barbeau from afar, even after a chemical turns him into walking vegetation. This was better as a DC comic, <laughs> though Jordan's villainous camping in this sweet-natured monster pick is almost on a level with Vincent Price's standard routine. I don't think that that's true. Yeah, that's a terrible, that's a terrible summation. No, also, I like he's like better as a DC comic. Yeah, like I'm sure Leonard Maltin was like a huge comic book reader. Or if he was, so what? I don't know. Yeah. I don't... I, that's basically the book is better. Like, yeah. the movie. I hate that. It's either a good movie or it's not. Like, if it's not as good as the book, so what? Like, well, and it implies, and also the second part of that implies that uh, Lewis Jordan's giving a, uh, campy performance and i don't know that he is i mean he's very he's a he's a friend he's a french actor you know he's he did a whole bunch of hollywood stuff in the 50s 60s and beyond but i don't know i think i think he certainly i wouldn't call him understated but 
comparing him to Vincent Price, I don't know. That doesn't seem very fair. Yeah, I mean, he is, this is a campy movie, and this is he was a campy villain, but I don't think he's playing it campy. Is that a weird know. distinction? No, I get it. Like it's a on on the page and in functions. I mean, the guy basically drinks the magic potion that turns him into a werewolf. It's not exactly like. <laughs> Yeah. This, is, this isn't Nurse Ratchet we're talking about, but like, <laughs> but no, I mean he could have shoot scenery and uh, didn't do that. And I don't even think Vincent Price is that campy of an actor either. I think that's a overrated distinction so, of his. But. Oh, so so maybe maybe that's Lenny's point. Um, oh my God, you're right, <laughs> <laughs> Leonard. You're still learning. You're, I mean, you're still. You're, you're still hold on, I'm gonna take that again, Leonard. You're still teaching me. <laughs> All right. Categories? All right, let's do it. Okay. Well, let me start with... Uh... I think we have here some very clear superpowers at play. Um, yes. For me, I think it starts and ends with the Swamp Thing's healing powers, which uh, saves us from a dead Adrian Barbeau at the end. <laughs> what do you think? Yes, you know, healing powers also came to mind for me. Part of the problem is he has very distinct powers, but not very many powers. Not right? much. He's super strong. He can heal other people, and he can regenerate like a plant can. And he's kind of bulletproof, but I, I mean, that's pretty much it. And um, his strength, he just basically used to crush people's heads and <laughs> flip up swamp rafts, swamp boats. <laughs> uh, swamp rafts. I don't know why I said around swamp boats. <laughs> I think it's funny. Uh, so yeah, the, the healing powers when he held healed that little kid. Because um, I thought killing that little kid would have been real dark. I mean, yeah, that was another uh, moment where I'm like, they have they're gonna have to buy this back, right? And of course, yeah. They do, but um, and then he, he although the the only problem with healing uh, the Adrian Barboza character at the end is it was it was a really poorly staged like sequence that got her stabbed in the first place right it, i actually had to rewind it because i was like that's what like, i must <laughs> i must have missed something but yeah no it, it was one step away from her like walking into the knife yes um it was yeah but yeah i got the healing too i will, will, will least lead are we do you want to do least um least favorite use of powers uh we haven't had it before but if you have something go oh. for it I want to hear it. No, we haven't done that before. Never mind. No, we don't have to. We don't have to do it. But you have something in mind. We can discuss it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that sequence where like he reached for the sun and regrew his arm worked for me. Oh yeah, that's right. I mean, I know this is a campy, ridiculous movie, but like, just a little bit of sunlight. Like, why didn't he grow regrow his arm sooner? It didn't make any sense. And you I know. Ever, ever heard of photosynthesis, my boy? But that's not the first time he was in the sun since he got his arm cut off. Yeah, but still. <laughs> that's fine. I know, it's stupid. Maybe it's stupid for me. I think Wes Craven was just going for that campy, like, heroic moment, but I thought it was dumb. So, <laughs> no, maybe that was. Silly. I'm just giving you a hard time. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, it's very silly. Uh, yeah, no, we should add at least favorite. Uh, especially since I think we have ample opportunity for some bad uses of superpowers here in the next yeah. couple weeks. So, yeah, let's add it on. I don't have anything, but next <laughs> week we will. Uh, you know, why don't we jump to uh, 
moments you wouldn't see now, which you've kind of expanded out to like you know, function or film filmmaking technique you wouldn't see now. It, can co- it covers a lot of ground. Yes. Did you have anything? Um, you know, it's hard to pick one because nothing about this movie necessarily stands out except the whole movie just feels like it could only exist in the 80s. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the way they would have cast it would be different now. Um, the way they shoot it looks different now. A clear difference that I'll save for mine, but yes, I'm with you. Yeah. So yeah, there's a whole vibe. Maybe maybe the scene where the commando like forces a kiss on Adrian Adrian Barbo's character, um, Cable, but at the same time, like that was that was not supposed to be portrayed as like, okay, but it's still probably something wouldn't be something you'd see in a superhero movie. Um, but at the same time she kicked him in the balls afterwards and jumped off the boat. So maybe, (laughs) I don't know. Which is pretty satisfying. Yes. Um, To me, yeah, there's no way that uh, a superhero movie now would commit this hard to the vibe it's doing. Um, it, It devolved into like a, some sort of portal in the sky or something, but specifically, I have, uh, there's no way they would allow um, suits like this now. This would all the, be CGI'd at the end. Swamp Thing would be CGI'd. Uh, you know, they'd probably add a couple other swamp creatures. Hey, they would let costumes like this on screen now, which I understand because once the budget becomes $250 million as opposed to whatever this was, which was not that there's expectations of certain aesthetics, but you know, I'm glad that this movie was made in 1982. I don't think it would have the same kind of spirit to it. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, like, like we said earlier, this is a monster movie with the story structure of a superhero movie. Yep. And, but at the heart, it is, it is a campy, almost fifties monster movie. Yeah. At its heart, this is almost like a, almost you know you have yeah. your environmental themes good versus evil um, but yeah let's see let's jump to um, oh well best best and worst moment we should do best line All right, what do you got for best line well it's another one of those uh, attempts at being deep by uh, Swamp Thing towards the end but it's a line that I think out of context uh, is good advice it's kind of advice you probably see uh you know in like a well-written self-help book uh the only way out is through mm-hmm. the only way out is through it's true look yeah. i don't know if it, i don't know what it has to do with swamp thing but i think it's a good line <laughs> fair enough fair enough um yeah, I had trouble because the, the lines that stuck out to me were the ones I thought were kind of bad lines that were trying to be deep. Like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, uh, when you're alone, everything's a dream when you're alone or something like that. But um, <laughs> I, I went with the line that legitimately made me laugh, uh, which, which I, I legitimately liked it. You know, it, it had good comedic timing. Um, you know, of course, the cable character called the... Um, you know, called the bad guy, not knowing he was the bad guy, uh, to come pick her up at a gas station. And, you know, immediately the, the bad guys go to this gas station in the least conspicuous way possible. 
I mean, the most conspicuous way possible. Um, and it's like obvious they're there to kill her. And so she's hiding behind the the register of this gas station with this little kid. And he's like, is there a gun here? And the little kid's like, what kind of place do you think this is? <laughs> of course there's a, of course there is. <laughs> is there a gun here? I don't know. It, I just thought it was funny. It was just, it was just good comedic timing about that little kid, and uh, the joke worked for me. Yeah, I love that. I wish again. I wish you'd been in more. Reggie Batts is Jude. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. What did he did he do anything else? Yeah, let me see. You know, I failed to kind of do research on him ahead of time, but. Uh, well, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now, and he does not have a name I can click, so I'm thinking he didn't. Yeah, I'm looking at his IMDb. Yeah, he had Swamp Things as only credit. Oh, he really? Has, this is the only thing he's ever in? He has um, you know, 15 minutes. Hey Jude with Reggie Batts, which I'm assuming is related to his role in Swamp Thing. Maybe, yeah. maybe it was like a bonus feature on like a DVD um, reissue. I'm, sh- I'm sure that's it. Yeah, what a shame. He was really good. That, which is like literally just one credit. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Reggie Bats, come on the show sometime, man. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, best and worst moment. Um, mine are kind of connected. Um, in a way, uh, I'll just I'll, I can kind of give both at the same time. Is that going to screw you up at all? No, no, give me both at the same time. So my best moment was that first reveal of the Swamp Thing costume. That's kind of the uh, turning point. You know, the first act is done, the human story's kind of done, and from there on, the movie's just a it's just a monster movie at that point. But seeing that costume and just seeing the, just just the exact aesthetic that it was, I was like, okay, this is going to be okay. This is exactly what I was looking for. Conversely, the reveal of the arcane costume, as I already mentioned, was just a step was a step too far in that uh, corny beat. I think they could have upped the production value on that one just a little bit. So that was disappointing. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so my worst moment, and we've already alluded to it. We've already talked about it, I should say. We haven't alluded. We've literally talked about it. Is when uh, Cable gets stabbed in the climax. Um, that was nonsensical. <laughs> it was poorly staged, and it was it was an obvious. Okay, we need we need to have the the main love interest be stabbed in the heart right now. Uh, so we're gonna find a way to make it happen. Um, that was my that was my least favorite moment. My favorite moment was. And I've already talked about it in length, so but I re- I really did like that the sequence where Arcane decides to take the formula up until the reveal of the costume, which I think you're justified in saying it's a terrible moment. But prior to that, I mean, like, even the transformation was was kind of terrifying. Um, but yeah, that was my favorite moment in the movie. Yeah, it's a great scene. Uh, very very creepy, very slow. That's another thing that they would not be tolerated in most superhero movies now. A moment that quiet and like that allowed to build like that. Uh, would you like to go first? Sure. 
Mine's very unconventional, and it's not something we've talked about much thus far in the in this movie. And I'm excited. Um, but I'm gonna give my MVP to Cypress Gardens and Monk Corner in South Carolina, where this movie was filmed. What a great choice! What a great choice! Uh, I think filming this on location. If this has been filmed in the studio, it would not be watchable. Filming on location, right. you know, having having the main science laboratory in an old abandoned church with a bunch of gravestones floating in the swamp. And all the chase sequences, as repetitive as they were, were so watchable because they were filmed in the daylight in these beautiful swamps in South Carolina. Even like the, the house that it is in feels like an old southern sign, like southern sh- uh, chateau in the swamps. Uh, the whole the whole set of this setting of this movie is beautiful, which ties back to the themes that Holland says at the beginning, talking about how he, he thought the swamp was really beautiful. And I don't I think for me that, you know, obviously that alone will make a good movie, but that is the MVP for me. It's the secret sauce that kind of uh, elevates this movie just a little bit because with all these rubber rubber monsters running around, there's something tangible surrounding them at all times that kind of grounds it even despite itself, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's such a great choice. Um, mine's a little bit more conventional. And uh, had I thought outside, the, you know, I've, my thinking was more inside the box here. Uh, MVP's Wes Craven for me. I think, is the end. this is uh, everything you mentioned before. Um, you could probably draw a straight line between Wes Craven doing Swamp Thing to Tim Burton taking on Batman. Here's a guy, won't call him an auteur, because that's not, he doesn't really fit that definition, like, really at all. But he has a distinct style. This is his first attempt to kind of Hollywoodize it. Again, this is not quite Last House on the left, and we're not quite in... Nightmare. Attempts to kind of show that I can work with bigger budget actors, you know, which would go on to be, you know, he directs Johnny Depp a couple of years later after this. And, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, would, would he have been given those opportunities to direct those movies if this movie wasn't, you know, at least financially successful? You know, I maybe think, not. I think there's no chance. I yeah. think there's no chance. These are the kind of opportunities that you only get every once in a while uh, as a director. And I think he nails it. I think he makes the movie better than it probably had a right to be. Uh, it's not like it was like a hot property. It fizzled out. It became a hot property kind of in conjunction with this movie. Yeah, I, w- I, would be, status. I would be fascinated to know why Swamp Thing, right? I mean, we kind of talked about it before. This, this is not the DC character you would have expected to be like, the, you know, we've had Batman, we've had Superman, and then Swamp Thing is the next one, not Wonder Woman, not Flash. Especially um, since Wonder Woman at this time, uh, coming off or maybe still still running a uh, pretty successful television series with a very popular, you know, right with Linda Carter. Yeah, and so yeah, Wonder Woman was a very popular character at this time, but no, not her, not Green Lantern, not, not Green Lantern. any one of these more famous DC characters, but Swamp Thing. Yeah, so I don't know if this was just something that was in the works for a while, or this is, some, this is studio mandated. So, you know, Hollywood's about. Or maybe, to change, you know, maybe just 
Wes Craven wanted to do a mainstream movie. He wanted to do a mainstream superhero movie because Super Superman was so successful at the box office, and the only one that attracted him was Swamp Thing. Maybe that might be. It might be as simple as that. This is what I want to do, and I finally have a studio that's going to give me the check to do it. But yeah, I think if this was directed by like just kind of some renegade director who, you know, hammer the checks and say, "Point, stand here, stand there." even have been forgotten the time they've said it's a cult classic so good enough for me and good enough for your dog as well yeah <laughs> we agree that was uh, two barks in agreement i love it uh we don't have to belabor the point too much about lasting effect on the genre because this whole episode has kind of been talking about this lasting effect of the genre as i will mention this is a uh, movie that feels very um this is like it, it's rated pg it's not as bleak as it sometimes wants to be, but it's decidedly an adult movie and not in the way that we normally mean it when we say like adult superhero movie. That usually means like dark and green people, you know. Yeah, this is, blood, this is dark and campy. Everywhere. This is dark and campy. And it's, it, it's for adults in the sense that it's simply just not for kids. So but, you know, I, I, do, I do feel like, I do feel like, that it wanted the someone in the studio wanted it to be for kids because like the scene where he where swamp thing like smashes the the head of the commando mm-hmm. there was obviously more to that scene that was cut out it pulls its punches know. in key sequences and that and that sure. and that tells me someone at the studio said this is a comic book movie this needs to be pg kids are going to see this movie they cut the nudity they cut some of the like gore so kids could see it you know yeah, no, you're right. Again, I wish I, I wish I had been aware that there was an international version and that I, I could have watched it. I feel like I didn't get the full experience. Well, I'm sure you can look up those those two minutes on on YouTube or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd say I'll do that, but I know that sounds uh, skeevy. <laughs> um, so I'll just I'll just drop it. But um. <laughs> But yeah, no, other than that, I'm glad this is why we do the show. I'm, you know, obviously it's for the audience and, you know, teaching them about the you know, history of pop culture. But it's really, it's kind of an opportunity for us to pick up and watch these movies that I don't think we would have otherwise. Yeah, I, I may not have ever watched this movie. And yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. You know, um, this is going to be a weird thing. Obviously, it's fun to watch great movies. This isn't a great movie. But it's also fun to watch these these movies that would never get made at other any time, uh, uh, other any period. Ah, I'm not. No, I'm I'm you. Yeah, yeah, it's fun to watch these movies that would never be made outside of like the early '80s, like this one was. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting genre, and you know we're gonna get even more of that when we move on to the '90s uh, in, in the coming months, because the '90s has a whole aesthetic that we didn't realize at the time because it was just present day for us when we were kids. Right, and that's going to continue into the 2000s. I'm afraid you watch a movie from 2003, and it's like, oh yeah, they wouldn't have made this any, they would have not made this the same way in any. Three. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Want to rate this bad boy, and then we can get out of here. Sure. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go between seven and seven and a half. Seven and a half feels too high. Seven feels too low. I'll say seven, uh, seven beakers of green nitroglycerin. 
<laughs> the formula. <laughs> Seven seems right. And so I, I've been kind of basing my, my ratings around like, how do I feel about it relative to other movies we've watched? Because I'm not good at like giving something a rating. You know, I, I enjoyed this movie. I don't think it was as good as Superman, which I gave seven stars. There you go. I think it was probably better than Flash Gordon, which I gave six stars. So that gives mm. Swamp Thing six and a half stars. You know what? That is perfectly reasonable. That's the mathematician in you, and I love it. <laughs> and now we put Swamp Thing back in the swamp. Uh, obviously, we're not going to be covering uh, the sequel or the TV series, but stars Dick DeRock. Uh, he got to keep the role going into the 90s, so good for him. And it was it was a long-running TV show as well. I had no idea. Uh, few, few seasons, right? Like three or four? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I had no idea either. It's It was in our lifetime. but Yeah, but we were stuff. pretty young. We were pretty young. Yeah, And I think it was on cable, so... Um... Yeah, not a lot of Swamp Thing watching <laughs> or three <laughs> or four. I know. But yeah, no, uh, we leave the uh, Swamp this week and next week return to the skies uh <laughs> i'm sorry uh yeah the <laughs> superman 3 uh it, it's time has come uh, a movie that i've actually managed to not see all after all these years uh i am so excited to watch this what i assume is going to be a complete disaster of a movie uh, i'm gonna try that, to go in with an open mind yeah but maybe um it's good. maybe it's good but i i there are a lot of movies that have a reputation for being that get reclaimed over the years. It's I, true. It is interesting. But all I'm saying I, is I have not heard that happen with Superman three yet. Well, maybe we'll start that, Ryan. Maybe we'll watch it and be like, this is an unheralded classic. I am determined to love this movie. Just, just to be <laughs> contrarian. That's how we're going to get clicks. That's how you get engagement in this messed up divided world. So, it's no, no, you get engagement by unreasonably hating things, not unreasonably liking things. Ah, crap, you're right. Uh, hmm. We have to think about that. <laughs> we, may, we may be stuck. Okay, maybe Superman 3 won't be our breakout episode. But um, it should be a fun well, one nonetheless. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, you can follow us on uh, Instagram at Pop Culture Historians Podcast, on Twitter at, at PC Historians. And you can like and rate us on whatever podcaster you happen to be listening to us at this very moment. I can't see into your phone or your laptop or your computer, so you'll just have to do that work for yourself. I can't help you. Uh, and until next week, uh, words of wisdom. Well, I think that I think the Swamp Thing says it himself best. Um, <laughs> what was it? Everything's a dream when you're lonely. <laughs> Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't have said it better myself, and so I shan't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see y'all next week. Uh, watch Superman three ahead of time. Should be a fun. Should be a fun one. So you can watch along with us. Good night, everyone. Right, good night.